Luke chapter 8, and uh, for many of you, I'm sure this is a familiar story. I know I've, I've preached from this many times over the years, and, uh, and yet I'm trying to look at it through fresh eyes today. And so Luke chapter 8, we're going to begin here with verse 40, and I'll invite you to stand with me as we share this word together. Again, I want to welcome those who are online uh, encourage you to uh, feel like you're a part of our church. We hope that you feel connected, even though you know we're, we're uh, spaced apart, even in this room. I want you to know that I believe God's presence is here, and God is present, no matter where we are, and he wants to speak to us today. In fact, let's pray this prayer together, shall we? Lord, this is your word to me today. May it be a lamp unto my feet, and a light into my path. Help me to hide this word in my heart that I might not sin against you. May I pray it in, read it through, live it out, and pass it on. Amen and amen. Here, beginning with verse 40, hear the word of the Lord. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him, touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding in and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know the power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jairus, or Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go with him except Peter and John and James and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but only asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up, and Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. May God add his blessing to his word. You can be seated. The truth is, when we come to Luke chapter 8, Jesus is very much near to the height of his popularity during his ministry. Jesus is just returning from the other side of the Lake of Galilee, where he has uh, healed a demon-possessed man. And now we come to this point where verse 8 says, When Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. Well, this morning, for just a moment, I want to center our attention on that one word, crowd. I want you to think about that. 
A crowd, literally, is a group of unidentified people. Now, that's a little easier in this group because you've all got masks on. It's hard to tell who you are. I, I'm have, always playing a guessing game when people are coming in the, on a morning like this. But a, a crowd is a large group of unidentified people, meaning that it was big enough that, that you didn't know everyone. In fact, you wouldn't know most people. You might know some, but most you wouldn't recognize. But here you have this large group of unidentified people and yet what we see here, at least by the description of Scripture, is that there is one person in this large group of unidentified people that everyone knew. Verse 41 says that a man named Jairus, a, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. This morning, as I began to look at this passage with fresh eyes, I realized that I, I really resonate with Jairus. Not just because he had a daughter who is in trouble. I think about my situation, and I have a beautiful daughter who, by the way, just graduated high school. And, and the truth is, once she flashes those big brown eyes at me, there's just nothing that, that I wouldn't do for her. But I also, wait, wait, what's going on back here? We don't have the screen? Oh, it, we lost it. I had a beautiful picture of Faith that I wanted to show, but apparently that's not going to work this morning. But anyway, oh, there it is. Well, good. Yeah, this is Daddy's girl, and boy, I, you know, she's got her daddy under her thumb just like anything. But, uh, but I also uh, looked at Jairus, and I thought, you know, if your girl is in trouble, there's nothing you wouldn't do. But then it, it went a little further than that for me. I also realized that, that Jairus is a leader in his community. In fact, very specifically, he is a synagogue leader, which means that, in, in effect, he was a pastor of his community. He is a pastor, a teacher, a leader, a mayor, kind of all rolled into one there. So here you have the description of a man that everybody knows, Everybody respects, and he falls at the feet of Jesus, pleading for help. Now, I don't want us to skip over the significance of this moment too quickly. Because you have to appreciate what this man is risking at this moment. Jairus, by his office, is the guy who is supposed to have all the answers. Jairus is the man you're supposed to go to for help. He's not the guy who's supposed to need it. He's the guy you see when you're desperate. He's not the guy who is supposed to be desperate. He's the one guy in the community who is supposed to have, who is thought to have a direct connection to God, and, and so everything should be good. And here he is, falling at the feet of a carpenter from Galilee. Now think about that. That's a humbling thing. Because, because before his daughter had become ill, I think it's probably fair to guess that he kind of fell in line with what other religious leaders were saying about Jesus. Uh, you better just stay clear of him. Listen, he's not a real rabbi. In fact, he may have been threatened or felt threatened by Jesus. 
But here he is in front of this crowd on his knees pleading for help. His, his image, his reputation is at stake. His peers are sure to find out. And here's the thing you need to know about Jairus. He doesn't care. He doesn't care at this moment what other people think. He is desperate. He is daughter is dying and he needs help from Jesus. Now listen, that is a good place to be. But it's a hard place to get to. He's desperate. Listen, this morning, I just want to note this. It can be hard for us sometimes to fall at the feet of Jesus, especially when we're worried about what other people think. You know, it, it, the truth is, it's easier to pretend like everything is okay, everything's fine. It, it, it is a humbling thing for us to come to a moment when we say, I need help. It is much easier to pretend that everything is great at home. How are things at home? Well, they're great. How are things in your marriage? Oh, they're great. How are the kids? Wonderful. How's your wife? How's your husband? Well, well, I'm married above. I went way beyond my, my pay grade when it came to my spouse. Everything is wonderful. It, it's so much easier just to say everything is fine. Just easier to... To be a face in the crowd, it's, it's humbling to fall at the feet of Jesus. And so this morning, this is a question that I suspect that some of us need to wrestle with today. When will your level of desperation become greater than your sense of pride? When will your level of desperation become greater than your sense of pride? You know, that, that, that is the issue for so many today. It is pride that gets in the way of the blessing that Jesus wants us to know. Because for many of us, it is just pride that becomes the stumbling block for us to humble ourselves at the feet of Jesus. There are so many people who would rather drown than to let others know that they can't swim. There are so many people who under the weight of life find it so difficult and yet they cannot force themselves to cry for help and find a spotter who can assist. There are some who will drive and drive and drive down the road knowing that they're lost. They do it not for minutes, not for hours, but for decades in fact before they will say, I really don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I am going. I need some direction in my life. So the question this morning may be for you, when will your level of desperation become so great that it overcomes your sense of pride? You see, this is what has happened to Jairus. He doesn't care anymore. He doesn't care what other people are thinking. There's just too much at stake. His daughter is dying. And of course, what I note is, is that Jesus sees his faith, and Jesus responds to that faith almost immediately. He knows what is at risk for Jairus by coming to him, and immediately Jesus starts to head to his house, to the home of Jairus, to see his daughter. In fact, verse 42 says, as Jesus was on his way then, the crowds 
that's the large group of unidentified people, almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. So we're introduced all of a sudden in this crowd to a particular person. And I, I want you just for a moment to kind of compare these two people. First, we've got Jairus. We've already met him. He is a man. We know his name. In fact, everybody knows his name. And then, of course, you've got this woman. A woman, let's start right there. Uh, nobody knows her name. You've got a synagogue leader. And you have a woman who, because she has this bleeding condition for the last 12 years, you realize she isn't even allowed near a synagogue. She's considered unclean. So he leads the synagogue, and she's not allowed in the synagogue. She's unclean. For 12 years, she's exhausted. She's experienced the loss of blood, the heartache, the anemia. She's an outcast socially. She's not even supposed to be in a crowd because she is unclean. These two people could have not been more different. And Luke wants us to know that. You know, I, I, I want to think about this. It, 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 as I think about this woman, it, it's one thing to have issues for, for 12 years. You know, it seems to me, it, it's one thing to have issues for 12 years. It's another thing to have an issue for 12 years. Do you know what I mean? I mean, in, in our lives, you always have issues. You know, that's part of life. You know, we have problems. That's part of the way we go about our lives. There's always something, perhaps. But think about it, it's another level of desperation, isn't it, when there's always the same issue? Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. That can be especially discouraging. I mean, you do fine for a while, but when it's the same issue over and over again, that's a whole different level of desperation. Yeah, you know, you expect some issues, for instance, when it comes to your marriage. Of course you're going to have issues. But when it's the same issue, year after year, you expect to have issues with your work or coworkers or in-laws or even your kids, but it's for a little while. You can work through it. You can kind of hang on. But when it's the same thing, year after year, there's a different level of desperation, and I want you to sense that that's where this woman is. The other thing I find that's interesting about this passage is that in the Gospel of Mark, who also recounts this story, Mark includes a few details that Luke does not tell us. Mark, for instance, tells us in chapter 5 about this woman. He says, and I quote, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. Now, you may recall that Luke was a doctor, and I think that's rather interesting. Luke doesn't go there. He chooses not to talk about that. He leaves that part out. He doesn't want doctors to look too bad. He also, uh, Mark tells us, that she spent everything she had. Luke doesn't tell us that either. But Mark tells us, no, she suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. All kinds of uh, doctors had made her promises and given her this thing to do and that thing to do, charged her all kinds of money. None of it helped. 
She spent all she had. And instead of getting better, she got worse. And year after year, she lost hope. Nothing happened. Twelve years. But, but this is what I, 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 I've come to realize about this woman. While she was losing hope, she had not given up hope. Not completely. Think about this. Year after year, doctor after doctor, bill after bill, promise after promise. And yet there's a part of her, apparently, that knows and believes that Jesus can heal her. In other words, she didn't stay at home that day. She took the risk of being this unclean person who goes into the crowd. She's not supposed to be there. She's not supposed to touch anyone because she's unclean. But Mark goes on to tell us in verse 28, this is what he says. He says, for she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be well. Now, Luke doesn't tell us that, but what I think is interesting is, who was she talking to when she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well? And I realize, well, she's talking to herself. <laughs> she's speaking to her own heart. She's speaking into her own spirit. If I could just touch his clothes, I will be made well. And this is one of the things I'd like for you to take away with you this morning. That in your future desperate moments, make sure you tell yourselves the right story. Did you hear me? When that desperate moment comes, make sure you tell yourself the right story. Because what do you tell yourself in a desperate moment? What do you tell yourself about God and, and his power and his Love. What do you believe about Jesus in that moment? Because what you believe often has something to do with what you will receive from him. She believes that Jesus has the power to heal her, so she's put herself in a position to receive that gift in that desperation. So what do you tell yourself in that moment. There's a sense in which our desperate moments can, of course, bring out fear. We can tell ourselves, well, this isn't going to work. This is awful. We could be like, you know, it, it's, it's too late for me. It's been too long. My addiction is too strong. My marriage is too broken. My health is too far gone. My child's heart is too hard. My finances are too wrecked. My sin is too much. We can tell ourselves God doesn't know me and he doesn't care. You know, on Sunday mornings, and, and I'm just going to say this, uh, there's a moment every Sunday morning when I almost, you know, just freeze up and and I don't know if I could call it a desperate moment, but there have been those moments, and, and I've been here for a long time, but I still go through this, where, where I'll have that moment where something will say to me, Jeff, you're not prepared to do this. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are preaching that message? Jeff, you, you have so much more that you should have done to prepare. Jeff, 
there is no way that the people who are listening to you, if they knew who you really were, they would walk out of here in a moment. They knew what you struggle with, what thoughts you have, what things you go through. They, there's a moment sometimes when I just, you know, uh, get bombarded with the thoughts, oh, that what technical things are going to go wrong today? How are we going to do this? And then you add the whole pandemic thing, and I feel so inept sometimes and feel so small in how to deal with everything that's going on. And sometimes I, I, I just find myself freezing up. And so I have to, to learn to, and I've done this many times, and I do it almost every Sunday, where I just sit in my office, and I begin in my prayer time on a Sunday morning, and I just tell myself, Jeff, remember, you are a child of God. God chose you to be his own. He saved you by grace. He called you by grace to be a pastor. You're, you're not doing this because you earned it or because you deserve it, or because of anything you've done. You do it because of God's grace in your life. And just to remind you this morning, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that power is within you. You love Jesus, go tell others about him. Tell them that he loves them too. I guess that's why I keep showing up every week after 25 years. Because, because there's something about that moment that reminds me, God, you called me for this purpose, and you'll help me. And he does. Now, I know some of you, and you have moments like that where sometimes you just need faith spoken into your heart. Now, now listen to me. This isn't looking in the mirror. Remember the old Saturday Night Live skit with the guy who would look into the mirror and you are good enough and you're smart enough and you're all of the that's not what this is. That, that's not what this is at all. This is learning to tell yourself the truth by the authority of God's word about what Jesus can do and about who Jesus is. Because this is not about you. It is because of him and what he's already done on the cross for you. Some of us need to hear that this morning. Because it's been a long time. And just because you can't fix it, whatever that it is, doesn't mean that God can't fix it. Listen, what others say about you is important. You know, what your parents say about you, what your coaches say about you, teachers, coworkers, bosses, all those things make a difference. But when you begin to hear what Christ says about you through the authority of the scripture, then that's a whole different story. And some of us need to, to get into God's word and be reminded constantly of what God wants to say. And so we have this woman... And she's thinking, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Now, she knows Jairus. He's a synagogue ruler. Of course, Jesus is going to help him. Of course, Jesus is going to go to his house. But who is she? Well, she's unclean. She's not allowed in the synagogue. She's a woman. We don't even know her name. Why would Jesus stop for her? She doesn't want the attention anyway. 
Of course, Jesus is going to go to Jairus' home, but she has nothing to offer. You know, my friends, this morning, I do think there is a tendency sometimes to believe that God responds to our desperation based on who we are and what we've done for him. For somebody like Jairus, yeah, we'll get it. God's going to help him. But this woman, eh, we don't even know her name. Yet this woman conjures up enough faith to just touch his garment. She is healed, and then she just desires to disappear again. But something surprising happens, doesn't it? Uh, the bleeding stopped, but verse 44 tells us that Jesus stopped too. <laughs> and Jesus stops, and he asks this absurd question to his disciples, Who touched me? And of course, the disciples are at a loss. Here you are, Jesus. You're in a crowd. These people are crushing you. There is no social distancing going on whatsoever here. They are pressing in. And Jesus says, someone touched me. I felt the power had gone out from me. And of course, then Jairus is thinking, what? We don't have time to do this, Jesus. We got to keep going. We got to keep moving. Let's go. Don't waste time. You know, it's a reminder, a subtle one. It's a reminder that in our desperate moments, we're not always happy with God's timing and, and his, his way of doing things. But verse 44 says, Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. And in the presence of all the people, she told her story. And listen to what Jesus says. He says to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, isn't it interesting the word that Jesus uses to identify her? Daughter. The only time in scripture I can find that he uses that word. Daughter. Jairus is listening. He's worried about his daughter. Listen, Jesus is worried about a daughter of God. Who needs his help? He's concerned about her. That moment the news comes Jairus, your daughter is dead. You don't need to bother the teacher any longer. Mercifully, Jesus begins to, to say immediately, Don't be afraid, Jairus, only believe. We see the story, and I'm not going to go into all the details here, but Jesus goes to the house, he takes the girl by the hand, and he says, little girl, get up. And lo and behold, she gets up, she stands up, and Jesus says, well, get her something to eat, some Pop-Tarts, some pizza, or something. This girl's hungry. I want you to notice what Jesus, however, teaches us about the kingdom here. And this is what I saw this week. I'd never really noticed it before. But the more I thought about it, it's become beautiful to me. Going back to verse 47, it says to about this woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed. Isn't that an interesting phrase? She saw that she could not go unnoticed. There's one thing that this woman came to know about Jesus. 
one thing that she knows about Jesus, one thing that became very clear to her that day, is that she is not going to go unnoticed. You, you see, she is nameless in this story, but she is not unknown to Jesus. For 12 years, Jairus had a daughter. We're told that she is 12 years old. And for 12 years, Jesus had a daughter, and he has known her pain and her loneliness. She did not go unnoticed. In God's family, no one goes unnoticed. She was a daughter of God. She was a child of God. And I think this morning... I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your difficulty is. There are so many moments when we feel like God doesn't know, God doesn't care. God sees. She came to realize that God noticed even her. And I know that, you know, we, we can't, we're not supposed to be in crowds right now. Some of the loneliest places in the world are in big crowds. But there's another lonely place too, and that's when you're all at home and you're all alone, all by yourself. And in both cases, God notices you. And you wonder if he really cares about your situation. My goodness, it's been so long. It's been so hard. But let me tell you this. He notices you. And you're his child. And folks, we want to be a church who notices people because God notices people. Listen, this morning, if you've given your life to Christ, rejoice that you belong to him. But listen, if you have not given your life to Christ, if you've been stuck in your pride or you're stuck in your problems this morning, I invite you to, by faith, just reach out and touch the hem of his garment. This morning, Christ can forgive sin because he paid the price for your sin on the cross. I invite you to put whatever situation you are dealing with into his hands because he knows, he cares, and he declares, you're my child. Don't be afraid. Only believe. And even when it feels like it's too late, the one who was raised from the dead says, you can trust me. Do you trust him this morning? Because whatever you're going through, that situation that just doesn't go away, he notices you. You belong to him. That's good news. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you loved us enough to stop for us when we had nothing to offer, nothing at all. And yet you heal us of our sin and our brokenness when we put our trust in you. You have rescued us not because of anything we've done. All of us were sick. Sin had put all of us on our deathbed, but God, you have come and you've rescued us through Jesus, may we this morning not fear, but even 
Lord, may we believe. Help us then to remember you have called us as a church to rescue others. Lord, would you make us a church of desperate people, for desperate people? I God, oh God, I, I do pray that, that this would be a church where people would come when they don't have anywhere else to go. We, we've got a long ways to go to become that kind of a church, but we know that desperate people were always drawn to you. So Lord, may you draw them here and help us to bring the message of deliverance to desperate people. Give us that victory that only comes in that relationship with you, I pray, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Victory in Jesus. This is a little bit.